When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here with Randy Mueller of The Athletic. Mr. GM, you've been busy. A lot of cuts around the league. I mean... (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about that. It's a huge day in, day in the league and a huge week in the league. One thing I thought about, though, Randy, was like, if you were the GM of a team, you probably could have nailed your initial 53-man roster a month ago, right? I don't know about <laughs> 53, but maybe 50 of the 53 for sure a while ago. You know, I mean, you know what's going on. You follow these. You track everybody. The problem is you can't wait till the last minute to really make this roster work because as we're going to find out and then most people know that the cap counting mechanisms include everybody all the time starting next week and so you've had to have this 53 man exercise in place internally for a long time so yeah um, you know we'll see a lot, a lot of it's fluid still as we sit here today in fact if you could see right. my desk mike you'd laugh I got papers everywhere. I got depth charts everywhere. I've got two computers set up to watch tape. I mean, it's nuts. And in a way, it's fun, but you take for granted these oh. NFL organizations have 15, 20 people operating a franchise nowadays that all have say in a final cut. And that doesn't even include the coaches. So there's well, a lot yeah. of people involved. As much as I want to say that you are extremely diligent as a member of the athletic staff, let's not forget you're also a general manager of an XFL team. So you need to really be, these are the guys you need to be watching, right? A ton it's of been a lot. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun for me the last couple of weeks, kind of honing in on who may or may not make it around the league. And, and we've talked about it here on the show, a few of the players that have kind of un, uh, surfaced yeah. in, in my hunt, not that they would ever make the XFL uh, rosters, but it just gives you a really good idea of the talent level around the league for sure. Yeah, it does. It really does. You know, and Randy, Randy wrote a column this week, everybody, uh, or a little piece. It was a little, a little aside, a little vignette about the time a player talked him out of cutting him. I thought it was great. And uh, uh, so we would assume this doesn't happen very often. <laughs> it happened to me once in 35 years. So that's why I kind of wrote about it one time. And and again, I don't think the player had in mind the idea of having to talk himself off the ledge or talk us yeah. off the ledge. It just so happens that he made a lot of good points that I hadn't thought of, you know? So we all think we're smart. We all think we get it. We all think everybody sees it from our, our vantage point. No, it, it's not like that at all. There's another side to every story, as we all know. Yeah. So what, what happened? Are you, so, and what's sort of the process? Cause you, you basically have to meet with everybody who gets released, right? They come into your office is who's yep. in there. How, and how did this one sort of go? Well, this one was one where, where we were down on this particular player for multiple reasons. And to be honest with you, he brought to the table a lot of reasoning that made us maybe be down on the wrong person. Or, or not down enough on the scheme or the system or every yeah. the line of communication that was being used by coaches to get to him and to direct him. So he brought a lot of valid information to the to the dialogue that, frankly, we hadn't thought about. So you think you vet these things. You think you talk about these things at nauseum, but uh, there are times, I guess, when it just surprised you. Now, this doesn't happen very often, obviously, but we did an about-face, no doubt in my mind, and and – that just it doesn't doesn't happen, especially in this day and age. That's pretty cool. I mean, you do have to keep an open mind, and that shows that you were at least willing to, you know, admit that hey, if we made a mistake, we want to know, right? We want to correct it. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's and not then, about well, me. It's not about me being right or the coach being right. It's about us as a team doing the right yeah. thing. Yeah, and so and that player wasn't like cut the next week or anything. He ended up doing okay, right? Yep. Yeah, good player yeah. actually. So it worked out that. He, he was correct. And, and Hey, we, the pushback, 
normally you would you would kind of poo-poo it, but it, it tells me that the pushback sometimes is valid and we as decision makers need to listen up sometimes. I'm trying to think of all the times my, you know, my boys tried to plead there when they were in trouble, you know, or plead that <laughs> actually this, how many times did you say, you know, you can make a good point there, son. Yeah. I will. How many times did you <laughs> listen? That's right. Not very often, right? <laughs> Not very often. See, now you're having regrets. You're having that's regrets. Right. I, I should have. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hey, uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't yeah. happen often, but it, it does happen. That's for sure. Yeah. So. Well, we have a ton of, of of cuts and moves and trades that actually did happen <laughs> yeah. this week in the NFL to discuss, and there's some interesting ones. Uh, let's start off with, you know, the Cowboys acquiring Trey Lance, and I, I don't know about you, but I was, you know, you get people calling uh, from radio shows or whatever, hey, you want to come on and talk about it, and they, they're breathless about, oh my gosh, can you believe that the, the, the They've done this to Dak Prescott in Dallas. They brought in Trey Lance. And I, Randy, I was like, wait a minute. Trey Lance had trouble threatening Sam Darnold. Um, Dak Prescott's an almost 10 year starter in the league. So there's several levels of this move. I think we can address, you know, kind of what it tells us about the 49ers. Uh, I think you have made an interesting comp uh, in in another forum uh, for Lance in the context of Mike McCarthy's history. Uh, the possibility that Jerry Jones, and we've heard a lot about this, maybe made the move without telling other people. Um, of course, there's ultimately whatever upside Lance might have. But just take it away, Randy. What are you What are you thinking on this? And maybe hit some of those points if you got them. Well, I think you're right. I think there are many levels to this, and and probably a lot to unpack. And it it's been done so around the dial uh, the last couple of days. But the things that kind of jumped out at me, I was not surprised that Jerry didn't converse with Mike ahead of time about this. I think Jerry was worried that for a couple things, one that maybe Mike might push back on it. He didn't want that to enter into his mindset. But to be honest with you, the bigger thing for me was, I don't think Jerry thinks or did this with the idea that Trey Lance would put any pressure on Dak Prescott at all on the field. What I do yeah. think in this in the back of his mind is it gives him an option to use as part of a negotiation going forward, we've heard about the Dak Prescott negotiations and they're infamous. They've seems like they've gone on for 10 years. And now there's talk of, of having to do something with Dak's contract before next year, because it's a giant cap number, as we know, and there's some issues there. Does this give him an option or a card to play in that negotiation? Maybe even if he never plays it down for them, can he use that? He is in Jerry. Can he use it in this negotiation? I'm not saying that it's an ace in the hole by any means, but I think it is an option. I think there are a couple different ways to look at the Trey Lance thing. One is he 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 busted out; it didn't work in in, in uh, San Francisco, but he also was undeveloped and did things differently than he'll be asked to do in Dallas. So there is still some developmental possibilities there. Now, we've kind of said tongue in cheek that some of these guys who come into the league now are a year away from being a year away. And maybe that's the case, but this kid is talented. The The correlation and the parallel that you brought up that I think Mike might see, Mike McCarthy, when he has time to analyze this, and maybe after some time of seeing him, is we made a similar deal when we were both in New Orleans. Mike was our offensive coordinator with the Saints when I was the GM there. And we traded for a guy in his second year from the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Brooks, who came to ah. us from Virginia as a – tall, lanky, really athletic, strong-armed kid who had a lot of the same criteria that Trey Lance has. There's some similarities for me when I watch these two kids play. And so Aaron Brooks ended up being a really good player for us and played uh, only because uh, Jeff Blake broke his leg in like week five, six, seven of our first year there. And Aaron Brooks came in and led us to the playoffs. Wouldn't it be something if Trey Lance does get an opportunity at some point here you just never know. And my point is, I think Trey Lance has some skills that are obviously transferable to the NFL level. Now, maybe not as a complete quarterback, but in the right system, he can do some things that Mike McCarthy maybe can't do with Dak Prescott. So there's there's some some parallels there in, in, in skill set, in development that I think Mike will see. And I'd love to chat with Mike after he had Trey Lance for a couple of months just to see if he sees the same thing I do. So 
as a GM, did you ever sign a quarterback for an offensive quarterback coaching head coach without telling him? No. <laughs> Could you imagine as, go, not not telling Mike Holmgren that, hey, Mike, we just signed a quarterback and actually we're going to make a trade for one. And, you know, I, I just had to do it. I didn't have time to come talk to you about well, it. <laughs> I know there's one guy who would come out of that room alive and it wouldn't be Jerry <laughs> yeah. Jones. So no. I'm just, that's uh, right. But, but, but I also think that's really convenient because – I could see that they actually maybe did talk and, but, but by doing it this way, it really insulates Mike who's close to Dak yes. and, and he's on the yes. headset and he wants Great what's point. best for Dak. He does not want a disruption of this and, and he doesn't yes. want to do anything that seems to be uh, undermining his guy. Cause I believe that, that I believe that Mike Prescott or Mike McCarthy uh, respects Dak, you know, and he, yes. and he thinks he can do really well. And so this lets them kind of, do what you need to do for the team, which is always be looking. Get a guy with some talent when the opportunity arises. We can debate whether they bailed out the 49ers or should have held out for a lower pick. All that stuff's fine. But, uh, you know, they got Dak Prescott for a fourth-round pick, I believe. Yeah. And now you add a guy who obviously has talent, and you do it in a manner that, hey, it wasn't me. Mike McCarthy's hands are yeah. clean. I, I'm focused on the season. So I'm fine with it. Uh, I hope that's really what happened was that they did – inform Mike, which I think you would with a quarterback. Cause what if Mike was just like, look, I ain't coaching this, this, or maybe they already knew from their evals a couple of years ago that Mike liked them, you know? <laughs> yeah. I guarantee uh, you they've had this discussion yeah. uh, at some yeah. point, maybe not in the last yeah. week or so or the day yeah. of, but yes. Yeah. So nope. I thought that was, that, that is a really an interesting one. One final question on this, Randy, you know, it's easy to play armchair GM second guessing, but you know, the 49ers have taken a, you know, a lot of criticism over this, whole deal rightfully so um could they have handled this whole demise of trey lance in a more strategic manner to possibly get more in return for him or no with with the tape that was there and, and the injury and the limited playing time no one was really going to go more from this I, my, my point would be like could they have made this more about a wow we are he hit the lottery with brock purdy that's the only reason we would ever move on from a prospect with as much talent as Trey Lance, but you know, we're in with Brock. Could they have done that and gotten more or no, it's fantasy. I think they have tried to spin this a many, many different ways. And yes, the Purdy thing makes it all possible because they would be getting crucified still if they didn't have Brock Purdy to, to kind of save the day. Right. It really, you can't get away from, yeah. and I've called it and I've been on radio shows like you, Mike, this last week or so I've called it, reckless and arrogant what they did to move up to draft Trey Lance. I just, we said it at the time. I remember you and I sitting here in these chairs talking about it. And I just said, I'm not going to say they're wrong. I just couldn't do it. I could not risk that kind of capital for a player with a body of work like that. And so I felt like they were almost arrogant by doing it. It, it had so many flaws to that process of you will go up for a particular player. Did you really know who you wanted uh, the the word on the street is that they moved up for Mac Jones and then got swayed by Trey Lance. That's flawed in the systematic processes, uh, uh, obviously. So that's a problem as well. So they've tried to spin it. They tried to say, I mean, John Lynch said, hey, the Cowboys really wanted him. They stepped up. Well, I don't know about stepping up for a fourth round pick. They've tried to change the narrative. They've tried to change the dialogue so that they are not being criticized so much. I think it goes down as maybe one, maybe the most colossal error of drafting that that I've witnessed in my adult time in the NFL. I don't know yeah. about you. Yeah, just with so many ways that they've stepped in it. You know, it's yes. It, yes. Look, you're going to pick a player who doesn't work out. Yeah, that no doubt. Yeah, all the time that happens. But like, like you know, you would people would say, hey, you know, Ryan Leaf was such a huge disappointment and and all of that because of the way he handled himself. But going into that draft, the evaluation on Ryan Leaf as a football player was that he was certainly worth a top five pick. I mean, he was a very talented player. Two thirds of the teams would have did the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It just didn't work yeah. out. Right. Now, so, so I would this say I was this, out there. Yeah. I, it's funny though. I went back and read through my notes because I, you know, talked to a lot of people in the league and I, I didn't find a bunch of people ripping them at the time. I, I no. mean, obviously we were critical, but I think one of the reasons they weren't ripped at the time was because, Hey, Kyle Shanahan must really see something. And there was a lot of faith in him. So that takes a hit here. You know, that's, this is a big strike, <laughs> you know, no you doubt. Get a certain number of strikes. This is a big strike. That's going to change the tenor of how the 49ers are talked about when things go wrong. I believe. 
I agree with that. I think they, they do a great job of controlling narrative and PR there to really protect their decision makers, especially because let's face it, when they did this, John Lynch is not a proven GM. He he was off the he off the bus. Yeah. He wasn't there a year or two. Kyle Shanahan had not been a head coach, so they were learning. They were inexperienced at this, and so they've done a pretty good job of surviving this. Obviously, they've built a good team and and have some skins on the wall that are positive as well. But in most places, this would cost people jobs yeah. already, or would have. Oh yeah, yeah. They they've hey look, they've had three winning records the last four years. I think Lynch was probably got there in seventeen, so that he'd been there a few years, but like you said, not a season to value. But I'm just going to say this, and I think you are still the leader in the clubhouse after this trade, getting the first round pick for Rick Meyer. I think getting a fourth for for uh, uh, Trey Lance does not move you off the leaderboard. Uh, I think that's a great example of really getting max value for somebody who admittedly had played at a higher level than Trey Lance has and, and have played well uh, a little bit. But um, that to me is the ultimate way to get something great for something that is diminished. And in this case, they just took whatever they could get, which was a fourth round lifeline from the, yeah. from the Cowboys. And now we'll see. The, I guess the perplexing part for me is at the end of the day, would I rather have Trey Lance as my third or do I have a fourth round pick that I can hang my hat on? I, I don't know that the fourth round pick does much to move the meter. Do we really like the third quarterback there? Who It's Allen. Is that who it is? It, oh, well, they, they, yes. Yeah. I mean, do we yeah. really like him that much more than Trey Lance to where we just want Trey Lance out of the building? Cause really the fourth round pick doesn't do much for well, me. Well, yeah. You basically save uh, a bunch of cash though. You know, yeah, so, I understand that. So if you're yeah. saving millions of dollars, look, if, if if you're telling the owner, hey, look, this guy is not in our plans. I'm sorry. It's not going to work here. If I'm the owner, I'm saying, why am I giving him 10 million bucks? Let's get him out of here. We'll use that. Yeah, money that's a good point. That's else. a good point. Yep. I think the cash should be the, the the primary consideration there. I will tell you that I got a sarcastic tw uh, tweet. I got a sarcastic text from um, a longtime coach after this trade that the Cowboys made. And it said, do you think that Trey Lance is better than Will Greer? <laughs> <laughs> so there's some opinions on, on yeah. Lance as a player. Let's be fair. Let's give him some time. I do think Mike McCarthy is an excellent quarterback coach. And I don't think that we have seen him in that role I uh, with Dallas yet because he had to, you know, he had Kellen Moore there. The system was a little different. I think now he is hands-on and I really do think that's a strength of his. So, he probably is a much better developer of quarterbacks than um, than whoever than who's doing that in San Francisco, in my opinion. I agree 100%. I've worked with Mike. I've been with him. Mike used to put on a quarterback school in the offseason for our all of our rostered quarterbacks, and it was awesome, Mike. I had never seen anybody work to the details that he did in the offseason, yeah. and that goes yeah. a long ways toward what you're saying of developing quarterbacks. And I don't think Mike gets enough credit for that, and you're right. He will be hands-on now. And I, I would say at some point it's even going to favor Dak. It's even going to help Dak because I think the things that he asks of these guys in the offseason yeah. is unlike any place I've ever been or been around, and I think oh, yeah. it's only going to benefit these quarterbacks, whoever they are. Watch Dak's footwork and that type of stuff this year. Yep. I think that's going to be really uh, key to watch. I think the best thing for Trey Lance is to not get out there right now because Mike McCarthy's 100%. not going to have he's not going to have five minutes to coach. Uh, yep. You know, to coach Trey Lance at this point, it's too late. So nothing can be evaluated on Trey Lance, in my opinion, fairly this year. He's going into a new system. Yeah. It'd be a disaster if something happened to Dak uh, for for an eval of him. Uh, yeah, another I, quarter. I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I say I I totally agree. I think those are all good points. Yeah. Yes, so um, we interrupt this this Cowboys podcast. We're going to shift gears and talk about uh, the situation in Arizona. Colt McCoy cut, and this is a little headline here in our little outline. Cards cut Colt McCoy, and people hilari hilariously think this signals tanking. What do you think of that, Randy? <laughs> well, I liked your comment on it. You, you, you said something yeah. to the effect, well, I got news for you. They were already in the hunt for the first pick, even with Colt McCoy being their quarterback. So I don't uh, know what meter this moved. That's what I said. I said, wait a minute. Isn't going into the season with McCoy as a starting quarterback <laughs> at all the evidence we need? I mean, I, I am kind of half joking. And with all due respect to Colt McCoy, who's forged a 10-year career in the NFL as a backup. 
it's just amazing to me how great Colt McCoy became overnight. So <laughs> that we've got basically conventional wisdom saying, hey, cutting him and acquiring Joshua Dobbs, that signals some sort of a meaningful shift. I actually did put in the notes. I was quoting you, Randy. I've got news for you. I used it. I've got news for you. I got to be careful here. I'm using your, I steal from the GM notebook. Now I'm using your lines. I'm trying to sound like a GM. I couldn't evaluate anything. But uh, Colt McCoy has not started more than four games in a year since 2011. Not a viable starter. Dobbs is younger, cheaper. And unlike McCoy, who's about to turn 37, he might actually have a future as a backup in Arizona. He I'd, I'd rather look at him and see what we've got from him than pretend like we're going into the season with Colt McCoy, and that's a meaningful move, right? I mean, these guys are either going to get the first pick through through their own season with or without Colt McCoy or through Houston's where they're going to be right up there. Right. No, I agree with you. I, I have a lot of respect for Colt McCoy. We're, we're yeah. kidding around when we say that, but Colt McCoy was not going to answer any of the questions for the Cardinals this year. He's, he wasn't going to be an option going forward. Um, plus, the fact that they don't really want to run the offense that suits Colt McCoy's skill set either. I think you're going to see them run more of a Philadelphia-type offense that, that Jalen Hurts ran, where the quarterback run, the quarterback athleticism, the mobility of the quarterback is going to be much more of a factor. And maybe that's something that, in time, Kyler Murray can also run. So oh, the yeah. whole offense is going to change. That's the one thing that, if you were going to criticize the Cardinals – in, in prior years about having Colt be the backup, it's a total different skill set, total different offense than Kyler Murray could run when, when they were running Cliff Kingsbury's offense. So at least this gives them with Dobbs, a guy that can move around. He might be able to run the ball in some designed QB runs. That does make sense to me. I think Dobbs can do that. McCoy could not run this offense. So that made no sense. So, yeah, I'm curious. We'll just ask you a little bit about Dobbs. I remember I, actually, I was working at ESPN at the time that he was drafted, and I went to the Gruden quarterback camp where he was there, and you're just blown away by how smart he is. He's like a, he's like seriously, a, mm -hmm. you know, a, he, he's a, what's the word? Uh, well, didn't he do an internship at NASA, NASA. or something? Yeah, like yeah, that? yeah, yeah. He's yeah. actually, he's a rocket scientist, okay? The yeah, guy's actually scientist. a rocket scientist. Sorry. <laughs> Takes a gotcha. rocket scientist to get words out of my mouth right now. <laughs> but, uh uh, he's an actual rocket scientist. Um, as a player, I remember him getting into a game uh, maybe last year uh, for a little bit and actually did better than I than people thought he was going to do. In the end, you know, I think didn't get it done. But uh, did you like him at all coming out? Do you think he could be, a, you know, a spot starter or do you think he could ever, ever be a starter or not really? I never really saw him as a starter. And, and last year to, to be a little more detailed, the, the Titans went and got him to replace Malik Willis, who had struggled. And Dobbs played in some important games down the stretch for the Titans to yeah, try to game. get yeah. them into yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. And I think he showed a little bit there his limitations. He just okay. couldn't make some of those throws that you got to have from a starting quarterback at the NFL level. Now, doesn't mean that he can't run the offense that the Cardinals are going to run. I, I, I agree with you. He can learn. He can execute. He can do a lot of things that come with the intangibles of being a quarterback, and I think he'll handle all that. He's been around. Joshua Dobbs was traded from Pittsburgh to somewhere and then ended up back in Pittsburgh. Was it Jacksonville? He's been he's been four or five places now, and people have always had good things to say about him. So I don't know that he's going to be a starting quarterback there, but he gives them an option of, of running what they want to run in Arizona yeah. on offense. Yeah, and he because he was with the offensive coordinator there in Cleveland. So I'm thinking, you know, they, they just probably want – in fact, they wanted him in free agency. That was the thing. They wanted to okay. sign him in free agency, and he chose Cleveland. Well, he right. went to Cleveland, and then Cleveland had their draft pick do well enough to get the number two job, uh, Dorian uh, – DTR from uh, UCLA. Yeah, yep. DTR from yep. UCLA. So – so that then made him available. And then Arizona was like, well, shoot, do we want to pay Colt McCoy three and a half million dollars? Or do we want to pay this guy one and a half who knows our system and can right. execute it better than, than Colt McCoy can. That's the way I see. It. I th I bet you the staff there feels like they're upgrading. Yeah, no doubt. And he's been around. I mean, this, this guy came out in 17 and, and as, as yeah. Kent, our producer pointed out Steelers a couple times, Cleveland, Detroit, Tennessee, yeah. Cleveland again, now Arizona. He's been been in many places as Colt McCoy's been, but he's a little younger and a little more athletic. 
Look at Kent Garrison in there. I noticed this in the chat. He's got very his good. whole playing history there. Very, very impressive. Nice, nice yep. work, Kent. Um, <laughs> all right. An actual surprise. We weren't surprised. Well, we weren't we weren't predicting Colt McCoy be cut, but we can see why that it happened. But an actual surprise, I think, was the Patriots releasing their number two quarterback, Randy Mueller approved <laughs> Bailey Zappi. Now I'm gonna clear I'm gonna clarify that. Okay. I'm clarify that. Veteran listeners to the show know Randy was high on Zappi entering the 2022 draft at a time when I can't remember anyone even mentioning him or talking about him. If I remember right, Randy, you had, I think, Kenny Pickett as the only first-round quarterback in the 22 draft. You were perfectly fine with Pittsburgh taking him early. And then I think Zappi was your next guy, someone you maybe would have taken as early as the second round despite his size because, if I remember you thought his size didn't seem to inhibit him in the pocket. Is that all accurate? Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know about who else we had up there, uh, yeah. but I did know that I, I liked Zappi and, and actually still liked him. And I was awake last night trying to figure out why they would cut him because this not only shook shook my theory on Zappi, which I think they they still like him, but I couldn't figure out how a team could risk having only one quarterback under contract. That's the yeah. one that bothered me as much. I as thought, anything. are they going to sign Colt McCoy or somebody? Yeah, you know, it was I, I a don't weird understand. deal. I mean, they can only have Brian Hoyer back so many times, right? Is is he still available? Can they resign him again? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's 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 got the golden ticket with New England, but it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Then today we read where he's going to resign on their practice squad, but they had competition, right? The word on the street was there were seven teams trying to sign Bailey Zappi to the practice squad. I'm surprised somebody just uh, didn't claim him if they wanted him that bad. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Somebody would have claimed him. But it's a very interesting – I mean, part of this, Randy, part of making these decisions is reading the rest of the league. And uh, I'm sure the Patriots had, you know, in their discussions, tried to calculate – what are the odds that someone would pick him up? And when you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast, you said, hey, it's really difficult to claim a quarterback off of waivers who yeah. doesn't know your system because under the rules of waivers, what is it? You have to keep him on your roster, right? Yeah, he has to be on your roster for three weeks, I believe. So that's that's a, a pretty big commitment for a guy that doesn't really know anything and can't bring anything to the table for your group initially. I thought that maybe somebody who the Patriots played early in the season or a division rival could mess with them a little bit by taking away their number one backup to Mac Jones. And frankly, and even I watched the tape in preseason when this word came out yesterday that they were cutting him. I didn't see a lot of difference between him and Mac Jones in the preseason game still. So I'm not sold that he doesn't end up still having some run in New England, but I was surprised that they went clear down to one quarterback before reacquiring him. I don't know if they reacquired anybody else or not, but and, and I was saying tongue in cheek with Brian Hoyer, we know he's somewhere else. So, yeah, yeah, you know, but Zappy. So it's just interesting to me that they would that they would that they would make that risk. They would wind up getting him back. I think, it, though, it tells us that the rest of the league maybe doesn't view him as a as a future starter. Do you think he will be a starter of, eventually, or do you kind of see him as a, as a good backup? I think right now he's a good backup. I don't think he's progressed. I mean, he started those three or four games last year in place of Mac Jones, but I know this. If Mac Jones doesn't take care of the football better than he has last year, that Zappi will be playing. So whether he's on the practice squad right now or not, they won't go into a game with one guy on the on the active roster. Yeah. So someone's going to get elevated yeah. to dress. And, and yeah. Zappy was just, fumbling. Wasn't yeah, he? well, that too. And he took some risks in preseason this year as well. Yeah. So, hey, I'm yeah. not ringing the bell for, for Bailey Zappy to be uh, the next Aaron Rodgers at all. I'm just saying yeah. it was risky business to put out those kind of quarterbacks and only have one under contract. So the fact that Zappy had given them pretty good run, I think, last year, um, it just kind of surprised me. That's all. I, and I don't, I think he'll yeah. be around there this year. I don't think he's going anywhere. They have seemed to jump through the appropriate hoops to get him back on the yeah. practice squad. One of the biggest stories this summer that has been a total yawner for us that we've just struggled to really even come up with stuff that we thought was interesting is it, but I think that's telling it's worth talking about is the Colts not trading Jonathan Taylor. I think we never believed that Indy was ever serious about moving them. They were basically just saying, hey, yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead and see what you can get out there because they knew no one's going to give up a bunch to have to pay him. 
even though he's a fine player. He's an excellent player. So this is just uh, this is just a, a big snoozer, isn't it, going into the season? Or well, is something big going to happen? I guess something still could happen. I, I guess the wild card for me, and we've talked about it, is the Colts owner, Jim Irsay. Does he wake up one morning and say, I've had enough of this. We're going to trade him at a discount and, and do something crazy. That's the wild card for me. I've never thought that the trading of him was really an option, and we talked about it. This was a part of the process where they could allow him to seek a trade and then be able to, at the end of the day, reel him back in to them. I think what has transpired now, though, with all of the give and take and accusations and this and that, whether it's his agent or him, there's a trust factor that's been broken now with with regard to this relationship. And as a GM, the part that would bother me most isn't really the fact that he's trying to get a new contract or that his agent might be trying to manipulate the system. I want to know if this guy's healthy or not. And that really bothers me. Is Some are saying... He's healthy. He should be playing. I'd be interested to hear what the Colts medical people say. Should he be playing? Do they think he is healed adequately enough to be rolling out there? Because if he's withholding services because of the injury, that's wrong. I just think that's dead wrong. So, and I'm not accusing him of it. I'm just saying that's, that's out there. There are, I've heard this from agents talk, other agents in the business. So there is, there is a narrative floating around that, you know, he, he probably, had at one point a, a tight back, you know, and we always make fun of, of things like this. Does it happen? I, I don't know. Maybe some players withhold until they're right hundred percent to, to play. I don't know what's happening with this guy medically. I don't think he's getting traded. I never thought he was getting traded. If I was a GM looking for a, a running back, I would have signed Dalvin cook two weeks ago uh, and gave up no compensation for him. And you got him for six or 7 million a year. Who would pay this guy $12 million a year and give a first-round pick on top of it? Nobody. Nobody's going to Nobody. do that. But I yeah. think the Colts knew that. Yeah, so Zach Kiefer, who used to cover the Colts for us and is now uh, writes national features, and has a great one on Tom Moore, by the way, uh, longtime coach now with Tampa Bay. Uh, he has a quote today uh, relayed from Chris Ballard the, about the situation, Ballard being the GM of the Colts. Ballard said, this situation sucks. It sucks for the Colts. It sucks for Jonathan Taylor. It sucks for the fans. It's where we're at. And we're going to work through it. Relationships are reparable. So that last statement there, uh, that's what you got to do. You got to try to repair yep. this thing and hopefully calmer heads prevail. And what's so weird about it is, like, Jonathan Taylor has never been a problem. Uh, Ballard seems like a pretty easy guy to get along with. I mean, Ursay is the wild card, but it just – Weird that this whole situation would even get to this, given the people that are involved. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know the agent, and I don't know the history. Yeah, well, the, the agent part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that has a lot to do with it, trust me. And that's yeah. where the, the relationship could could go sideways at any time. But again, I'm not critical of I just don't know who, who yeah. they are yeah. and what their experience level is at dealing with this. Sometimes these, these things blow up and become issues because somebody's either inexperienced or doesn't know the rules and, and, and really are, is asking for something that the majority of agents know they can't get. So they're trying to make a stand, trying to save the world, trying to do something bigger than their own client is, is deserving of, or that anybody even can do based on the CBA and the rules. I don't, I'm not saying that's the case here, but this kid went from an about face of being quoted as saying he was very happy. He understood his contract. I'm going to stick with this until my time comes to now all of a sudden, I hate the Colts, I want no part of this, uh, I want a new deal, or I want out of here. That seems like a quite an about face. Yep. Hey, there were a bunch of kicker moves. Do you notice this? A bunch of kicker. some of these moves were kickers, and Tennessee traded for Nick Folk, uh, picked up another kicker. Uh, we've seen, a, you know, the Saints, uh, you know, changing theirs, and Denver's in on it, obviously, with Sean Payton there, picking up their guy. Mm-hmm. i just curious as a GM, you know, what do you do when you're struggling to find a kicker? Because we talked a little bit about this before, but I know, Randy, you have a clear process for evaluating quarterbacks, defensive ends, any position. You know what you're looking for. You know what your staff is looking for. You know how to blend those things together. Is it totally different with a kicker? Do you do you evaluate kickers? Do you have a, a process for that? Or do we just look if they go through the posts and when they don't, we get a different guy? Oh, no. There's a process in place. There's four or five things that I've always looked at. 
But probably number one with a kicker is the thickness of his skin and how can he come back from it and the the exuding of that confidence level. Hey, I've been around kickers that when we come out of the hotel in Buffalo on a cold, windy day, they start looking up at the wind. <laughs> that That's not the kicker that I want. He's already worried about the wind and we haven't even got on the bus yet. You know, we're worried about the weather and the, how, which way yeah. is the wind blowing and the kickoffs in three and a half hours. So you don't want that. So you want tough-minded people. We we had um, a kicker in Miami that our, our coach had experience with in Michigan, um, Jay Feely, who yeah. there were kickers more talented than Jay. There were kickers that had a bigger leg than Jay, but he gave us the impression that every day he was going to give you everything he had and nothing was going to nothing was going to be too big for him. He made us yeah. confident. He made us sleep easy. We didn't have to worry about him. Um, and we traded one that made us worry. So it's it's as much about comfort with the decision makers as it is anything else. And you've you've if you don't have a kicker, you do hit the panic button early because we've all been around those where even in practice, sometimes extra points become an adventure. I've been in that role too. And you do not want to be there when it is a struggle, yeah. when the when the players on your team start dropping their head at practice when kicks get missed, that's a bad state that that can affect yeah. the whole team. And unlike other positions, you can't just rotate in another guy or no. wait it out for a month. Right. If you're missing, cause then it snowballs. So it really is a position where you have to kind of change guys. If it doesn't go well for a while, yeah. right. There's no waiting it out. No, it, 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 and it's as much, like I said, about confidence, intangibles, just the impression yeah. and the feel you give the people around you uh, as it is about having a strong leg. You don't necessarily have your kicker because you think he can make a 55-yarder. You have your kicker based on the fact that he's not going to miss a 42-yarder. That's yeah. the number one criteria right there, you know, and, and that's got to be consistent. Remember Mike Vanderjet? He went from like the cockiest kicker to couldn't make anything. It was one of the wildest kicker stories I remember. Um, was that the one that that uh, Peyton Manning said our kickers all liquored up kicker? Was that him he was referring to? <laughs> yes, I, I think so. We'll have the yeah. athletic attorneys vet that before this goes on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I know I, it made it. me laugh out loud when he said something like that. Our liquored oh, up kicker. <laughs> Peyton is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, we did see a trade this week. Raiders trading Neil Farrell to the Chiefs for a six-round pick. Division rivals, Randy, trading within the division. Andy Reid has a great history of doing this. He, I think I trust Randy or Andy's uh, evaluation of quarterbacks when he traded Donovan McNabb to Washington. Remember when he was with Philly? That was a huge, yeah, how about that? made huge waves. I'll never forget that. But the Raiders and Chiefs, those guys usually trade punches, you know, not players. Yeah. Uh, we've seen teams jump across Marcus Allen, Rich Gannon, Albert Lewis was a great corner and a great special teams player too, who, who changed teams. Harvey Williams, if you go back, uh, but I don't remember too many trades. I actually went back in the history of the organizations and I had to, I went all the way back to before the chiefs were the chiefs, they were in Dallas and they got Len Dawson. They actually traded cotton Davidson, their quarterback to the Raiders for the first pick in the draft, which became hall of famer Buck Buchanan for the chiefs. Wow. So maybe that was it for Al Davis. He was done giving any, any picks or trades to, to the chiefs. But what do you think about Raiders chiefs making a, making a trade? You were in that, AFC West for years back when Seattle was there. Any, any thoughts? I don't think rivalries are what they were. And you're right. I spent 27, yeah. 27 years of my career in the AFC West. So I think back in those days, rivalries were rivalries. We would mess with the other teams on purpose. Hey, I had the Raiders call me on draft morning to tell me, do you know your phones are out in the whole building? Everybody's been trying to call you and nobody can call you to get, get a trade Come on. request made. And, and they were just messing with me. Nothing was wrong with our phones. And they said, the league doesn't have your numbers. They don't have your tri your numbers so people can call you. Things like that, you know, that, that, yeah. that doesn't happen yeah. anymore, right? I just don't think – I think people are very confident with the teams that they're running, and I don't think they really care who they trade with. They're going to make deals with the people who are going to give them the best in return. And I think that's what you saw in this case, yeah. a, a match of even though they – they're supposed to be hated division rivals. I just don't think those rivalries are what they once were. Yeah. And you kind of think about it, you know, you think of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler coming into the, to the Raiders. They have long careers. They're, they're not yeah. 
Raiders. They're Raiders, but they're not Raiders. You know, no, <laughs> they're, they they're guys. and they might not even know about the rivalry <laughs> that yeah. was thirty years ago. They, yeah, they don't care that much. It's not that relevant to them. I do think I would hold off if I, if, if for whatever reason we were moving a player, if I had a choice of where to move them, and I thought the player could move the needle a little bit, but for whatever reason he just didn't fit in our team, but he was yeah. going to fit better on the other team, then I certainly wouldn't do it. In this case, Neil Farrell, you know, probably just fills a bit role for the chiefs and isn't going to be the reason why the Raiders lose to the chiefs. So I agree. Not as big (laughs) of a deal. Hey, we talked about Arizona a little bit earlier today. I saw a news breaking on ESPN uh, that former Cardinals coach, Steve Wilkes now defensive coordinator for the 49ers testified to the league. If you remember, if you go back to the earlier in the summer, Terry McDonough, former Cardinals executive, had made some pretty serious allegations about Mike Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, Steve Kime, the former GM, basically saying that those two, among other things, had directed him and others in the organization to use, quote unquote, burner phones that can't be traced to allow Steve Kime in 2008, when Kime was suspended for a DUI, to go around the rules and still communicate with Team Brass and, and, negotiate contracts and do all of the things he wasn't supposed to do. McDonough had made this allegation. Now we have Steve Wilkes, who's the former head coach uh, of the Cardinals, saying, yep, that's exactly what happened, and gave more details that corroborated the story that had kind of faded away. We hadn't heard much about the story. I don't know what you think of it, of it, of it Randy. And I, if I remember, you weren't just absolutely beside yourself that they had maybe tried to use burner phones, but – Imagine maybe some in the league might hope there's some punishments, or what do you think? Maybe so. I think I'll be honest with you. I, and I think, and I'm not saying this in a disrespect, disrespectful way. I think the Cardinals had got to a point where they were kind of irrelevant and nobody really cared. And and so I don't think anybody has been beating the drum to come down with punishment on these guys for this act. In fact, like you mentioned, I thought it went away. I didn't know there was any, any dispute still being handled, whether it's in arbitration or in a, legal court, but I guess there was some slander going back and forth. I know they came after McDonough really hard once they let it, uh, let him go in, in uh, Arizona, and so there's been some back and forth there. Steve Wilkes, I've known really in my entire adult life, signed him as a free agent out of App State. I don't even know what year it was, but he was 22 years old, so um, salt of the yeah. earth, believe everything that he does say. Uh, he would not to tell anything like this, especially in a court of law, that if it wasn't true. So if it collabor- collaborates with McDonough's story, it, it probably, what do they say? If it acts like a duck, it's probably a duck. And and I think that's the case now. I don't know who gets penalized for what or who's trying to get to the bottom of this. Um, maybe it's the league in, in going gonna to punish Michael Bidwell. I don't know. Um, I think when employees get suspended – the league likes to think that that's the end of the story, right? I don't know. Was Sean Payton, was Mickey, were the Saints when they were all suspended? They couldn't have any contact and nothing was found there. So they must have abided by the rules and the law of, of the suspension. So this was one of those cases where I guess Steve Kime or Bidwell or whoever orchestrated this just felt they were above the law and, and the league has to come back to get some, extract some flesh for, for not doing it the way they had, had hoped it would be done. You're absolutely right, though. If this was the Patriots, can you imagine people be up in arms? It's another sign of cheating, Belichick, yeah. all that type of stuff. It would Probably be a right. huge story. It's the Cardinals, and people are like, oh, yeah, what was going on with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but, you know, they, shoot, the Cardinals had to, in their hiring of their coach this year, had to give draft compensation to the Eagles over a dispute there. So, yeah. you know, you could, yeah, um, <laughs> there's been a few things. There have been a few things uh, with Arizona. Um, okay, we have, before we get to the GM notebook, which I don't think I borrowed from, I'm just kind of looking at it now to see if there's anything I want to pull out of that. I volunteered one thing that we'll double back on, but. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah a couple, I got two more things. One is, uh, have you kept up with Hard Knocks? Because I haven't as much. I have not kept up with Hard Knocks as much, have you? you I did not all? I did not watch this week yet. No, I, I've seen some of the highlights. All you got to do is watch a couple of these ESPN shows and, and that's all they want to talk about. the jets anyway. So you get what you need to from there, but I had up until this week, I'll watch this week yeah. at some. 
Well, the the funny one was, you know, Aaron Rodgers getting barely touched, but it was a little bit of a shove. It was late by the Giants, yeah. uh, number 55 Ward, gave him a little bit of a shove, nothing too much. But that led to uh, Rodgers basically getting in his face and saying, I don't even know who you are, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then right after that, Rodgers did throw. It was a beautiful touchdown pass, you got to admit, to Garrett Wilson. I mean, yeah. he really put it over there like mm. Rodgers is known to do. And then he... I think he went over and and got it, you know, basically gave him the I don't know who you are again. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it was pretty good. But what do you think? It, it it was good. I thought it was a little bit fabricated. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> Rogers comes to the Rogers comes to the sideline, and I did see this part. Rogers comes to the sideline and he gives the play by play of what was said to his teammates on the sidelines. I mean, obviously he knows he's mic'd up. He knows he wants to get clear. He wants all this to be on the show. You'd, you'd be poo-poo this in a preseason game. It's not like he's going to be, he got barely touched. Like you said, I mean, it wasn't like the, anybody came after him. So I thought it yes. was something to do about nothing. And I thought his reaction was somewhat orchestrated, but it made for good TV. It was kind of funny. Th- yeah. His, his comeback was good. That's for sure. What did he term it? He did. He determined this is, this was a, a comeback that I gave him that you can't come back from. You know, it's an uncomeback with a bull line. Yeah, like I gave the, him a line that's the ultimate insult. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who you are. Yeah, <laughs> so. uh, yeah, you're right though. The sideline recap of the whole yeah. thing, so that it can be spliced together. Come on, that yeah, that's how the whole thing has kind of felt to me. Everybody's felt. It feels like everyone knows they're mic'd up, and so yeah, you don't, you know. It, it doesn't have that feel like they forgot that everyone's so aware now. Yeah. I don't remember the hard knocks feeling this contrived as much maybe in the beginning. Um, maybe they were, but well, I think it's gone to another level just because it's New York too. I yeah, did enjoy yeah. it. Uh, uh, did you watch Sopranos? Were you a Sopranos guy? When, oh when yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Did you see the opening to this, to this show? They did a little tribute to the Sopranos with, um, Robert Sala driving to work like he is, he's the, uh, and they're playing the theme song and he's driving through the exits, you know? Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool, actually. Uh, I love Sopranos. I, I will yeah. go back and watch it. I, I love the Sopranos. Yeah. I've probably watched it a couple of times. Uh, I really, you know, one of my favorite Sopranos scenes, remember junior, you know, junior Soprano. Oh, yeah. yeah. When junior Soprano is sitting in his living room and the news comes on of the testimony in court, and they show the artist's likeness of him, and he just <laughs> loses it. He's like, "That son of," he hated how he was being portrayed. And so then the next yeah. day in court, all he did was stare bullet holes through the poor court artist guy in there because he was like, <laughs> you know, like he's gonna whack this guy. I thought that was just one of the funniest. That's one of my all-time funniest. As funny as Paulie was, and all the guys were on there. Junior yeah. getting upset at the artist <laughs> rendition of him is one of my favorite all-time. He didn't like the way he's portrayed. Yeah. 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 And like somebody might die because of that, you know, just look on his. So, hey, but before we get to GM Notebook, and this is relating to the Jets, I'm going to ask you a question next week. You can answer it now if you want to, but I'm going to ask you a question next week. I don't want to put you on the spot, but just because of the vibes I've gotten from you on the Jets and the Packers, who wins more games in 2023, the Jets or the Packers, I think is an interesting question. Oh boy. Uh, and you might want to look at the schedule. Yeah, I'm wanna... on it. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just sort of have felt, you know, some skepticism of the Jets, which is more in relation to everyone anointing them. I don't think you're saying they're going to be terrible, but you're just not, right. you're not all the way in on them. And you've been impressed with what the Packers are doing, which is one of the, I think one of the GM notebook items, but uh, yeah. I'll be interested. I'm going to have to take your... that under advisement. I, I do need yeah. to look at a schedule. I need to. Yeah. Talk with my people, yeah, just, and, and I'm going to get back yeah. to you on that. Yeah, yeah I like that one because I think most uh, people would just say the Jets after the quarterback yeah, trades. All no, right, I'm, I wouldn't make that commitment as we sit here today without looking at it. I like that. All right, GM notebook. Let's go. Couple things, and we mentioned it off the top. This is the week. Actually, next week is the is the cap counting calendar turns over to all during the off season. As some of our listeners probably know, you're only counting your top 51 salaries. Next yep. week, you'll count all your salaries, including practice squad, injured reserve, any type of reserves. Those all those salaries count. So your your team that on has the cap, yeah. on the cap. So your team might show eight million dollars available right now. Well, that's going to change come next week. And so that's why teams build in 
um, cushions. They build in extra money because they are counting really in their mind for the last couple months. Like we mentioned earlier on the show, they're, they're counting their real roster and they have money set aside for practice squad and they've got to have money set aside for future injuries just for, you know, insurance. So there's a lot of cap mechanisms that will change next week and teams will be viewed differently on paper. So I just thought I'd mention that. And most people know that already. So there's yeah. nothing earth shattering well, about that. I kind of wanted to see that though with New England, the Bailey Zappi thing. One of the things I was curious about, what con- what sort of salary did he negotiate on the practice squad? Yep. Cause you can get yep. more than the minimum. And then I would imagine he'll get game checks anyway, cause you're going to have those guys on your roster. If he's, well, you can pay guys on the yeah, practice squad. Yeah. You can pay those guys a regular roster or I mean, regular salaries if you want, yeah. right. There's no limit yeah. as to what you can pay him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see. Cause he obviously, you know, played ball with them and stayed there. If he probably could have, just said, no, I'm not signing with you if you wanted to. So there, I would imagine it'd be something in it for him, and we'll see how that all works out. What's number two in the notebook? The other thing was, and we hit on the Jonathan Taylor deal, I got to thinking when I've heard so much about this and and all of the details that his side has tried to, to control narrative on, it, it, I got to thinking, and you, I'm asking you a little bit, is he hurting the cause by his actions for getting running backs paid? I mean – I, I just might draft one in the seventh round like Kansas City did last year and and then draft another one two years from now. You know, is he is yeah. he hurting the cause with all of the hoopla and all of the drama that he's creating for running backs to get paid? I think they have hurt their own cause with some of the guys at the top taking pay cuts as it was. Now, does this yeah. enter into that? I mean, do we really want a running back that's a prima donna that wants to be paid that's coming off his worst year, 800 yards last year and, and wanting to be paid like, yeah. McCaffrey? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you've got a little fatigue of this whole thing. Let's just play yes. some ball. You know, let's just play some yeah. ball here. Um, I don't think he's helping the case for running backs, but I also think that it's a case-by-case basis, and your team may have a guy who, who you know, depending on the kind of style of play of your team or what you think he means in the locker room, um, I think it's – I think. It, you could justify on your own team paying a certain guy where another team wouldn't. And the case in point is Tennessee with Derrick Henry. Yeah, I don't think Derrick Henry's for everybody. He's a two down back. But if you want to have a certain toughness about your team and you want to play a certain way, he's worth the top. He, you know, he's been worth the top to them. Uh, I think of somebody like a Pete Carroll. You know, if he wants to have that in on his team, then he's going to pay Marshawn Lynch, right, or or whoever. If you really think they're a differentiator for you. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the question with Taylor is how much is he hurting his chances with the Colts? Because the Colts ultimately determine how much he gets paid, unfortunately for him because of the system. And they've got two franchise tags if they want them. Yep. And if I was the owner of the team and I was wanting to prove a point because Jim Mercer is going to get a percent of the NFL revenue, no matter what he's a millionaire. He might be a billionaire. If he just wanted to sit on this guy for two years, he can, he can. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he will. I, who knows what Jim Mercer is going to do, but I think at a certain point, Jonathan Taylor has to play great football to get a big contract. I and agree. all this stuff has to fade in the background. I don't know how it happens because unlike these other core running backs like Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, those guys were already on the tag. So it was easier for their team to throw in a million or whatever they did, uh, sweeten it. They're on the tag. Th- this running back, Jonathan Taylor, is not on the tag. He's still on his contract. Right. So he's way early in this process. Something well, he's a second round time. pick too. So he's a year short on his, on his uh, number, yeah. on the length of his contract too. Yeah, and so all of these things. Yeah, I, I think he's, I think he is damaging his chances of getting paid. But I also, in fairness to him, don't know what's happened behind the scenes. You know, I think we've sort of implied God, the agent, must have really be orchestrating some of this. But who knows what Jim Irsay has said behind the scenes or whatever that could have made his feelings be justified to be upset. I don't want to discount that possibility, but certain point he. He's got to play great ball for them to get paid, and that's not happening on the PUP list. So, and he's not helping himself either by by preparing for this season either. I mean, do you yeah. think he's going to have a great year now after what he's done, or or what I don't know where he is medically or not? 
I don't know. So, you know, some of those guys, I don't know. know, Adrian Peterson was so different from everybody else. I think he could just come in and do it. You know, I don't know if Jonathan Taylor can do that. So uh, we shall I don't know how good the Colts are going to be, for one thing. And I don't know how much of a factor he can be. He might get beat up more than anything. So maybe that's part of his plan, too, to get paid now instead of ramming his head against the wall for 17 weeks this year. I don't know. Well, it ain't working. I don't think anybody's going to panic and pay a running back if your team's struggling. I don't think no. that's going to happen. No one thinks that he's going to come in and make the team win uh, if the team's terrible. So I agree. Uh, all right. Number three. I had one more thing. And yeah. yeah and, and you alluded to it. You know, I'm fairly high on the Packers and the team that Brian Gutekist has built there. I think him and his staff have done a really good job in not only enduring the Aaron Rodgers exit drama, but really putting together what his team is now. And I think it's a little bit under the radar. And I think they like that. But I read the other day where, well, not the other day, it was just recently because teams have just been settled. They have the youngest roster in the league, which kind of shocked me. And when he was asked about it, he said that wasn't the plan. He said the plan was to be athletic and fast. And sometimes that goes with it. And that got my attention because that is, that should be the plan of everybody's to increase team speed. And I think they have done that well. I think he did a really good job. And then you find out later that, by the way, they made a call to the Colts on Jonathan Taylor, too, just to kick the tires. And this is a team that has two really good backs. But I thought that message that he delivered to everybody, because he didn't back away from it, he said, hey, we're not doing our job if we're not checking on good players and their availability. I think that to the locker room builds credibility. I think those guys know the front office is doing everything they can. They're going to get good players no matter what, and they're not going to be detoured. They're going to, it reminded me of Paul Allen giving me the word one day. He said, Hey, Randy, get us in the middle of every deal. Doesn't mean we have to do it at the end of the day. Just get us in the middle of every deal in Seattle. And and I love that approach and, and I learned from it. And from that day on, I tried to get us in the middle of every deal. And I think that's what Brian did here is, Hey, just kick the tires, find out if you can get us in the deal. We don't have to make it, but I was impressed by that. So, so I, I got a big, I'm smiling here, Randy, because I think one of the criticisms, you know, that people sort of had of green Bay is, Hey, they're not helping Rogers enough. They need to be more active in these deals. Right. Do you remember them kicking the tires on Jonathan Taylor's in the last few years? Or do you think there's any kind of a change here or what, what's going on? Well, how about do you remember Rogers ever acting like he's acting in Green Bay the last two years? No. Yeah. Going to mini camps, being all in, being very cordial for this. So both sides are feeling their oats a little bit. It just tells me that, that the shelf life had expired and it was time. But you bring up yeah. a valid point. It has not been the Packers' MO in the past to be in the middle of any free agent deals. That's kind of a carryover from years of years past where they just built around the draft. But yeah. I think we all know if you're going to build the best – team now you've only got to you've not only got to hit on draft picks you've got to be involved in deals to acquire talent in every way you can another kind of interesting thing just talking about the packers is i used to you know maintain rosters myself for all the teams in the league and i always had average ages you know 15 years ago spent a good portion of my life on the phone with John Clayton, rest in peace. Yeah, I was going to say, I know somebody else did that too. Yeah. I think of John every time we get to this time of year. I, I'm more yeah. than that, I think of him. But I was thinking of him on, when the cuts came down the other day. That was like John's, you know. <laughs> he was always baby. working on his database, wasn't he? Was he was always working on his database. Yeah. I, I always remember Green Bay with Ted Thompson. Always was one of the youngest teams in the league. And I'll have to look and see the last few years. because So Ted, you know, tragically passed away um, very prematurely. And and was you know not in the not in great health. I don't think towards the end of his run as the Packers GM. And so as that period was happening, and then uh, Brian Gutekunst took over, who'd been there a long time, but you know wasn't as, as established obviously as a GM as Ted. I'd love to go back and look and see if the roster was getting older because they were kind of deferring to Aaron Rodgers with Mercedes Lewis and Randall Cobb. Because when I think of who the old guys have been on that team, they're all Aaron Rodgers guys. And I would love to know, like, would that have happened with Ted if Ted was still, you know, around um, as the established GM? Because Ted had his way of doing things. No doubt. <laughs> you no worked doubt. with Ted, right? Ted was in Seattle when you were. Ted was replaced he? me when Ted I Ted replaced you. Okay. Yeah. 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 Ted, but Ted I know him well you. and spent a lot of days on the road yeah. with him. So I know he yeah. was he had his ways. You're right. 
he had his way. So all this stuff's kind of interesting. But what I love about this conversation about the Packers, Randy, we'll see how well they do this year. But there's a freshness to it. Yes. It's not the same old narratives. We're, we were, we're done with that stuff, too. Whether yep. it was the right move, the wrong move, whether they're going to be better, whether love's, Jordan Love's going to be good or bad. It feels good to talk about the Packers again and just sort of, you know, they're a, another team that's not all controlled by the same narrative, you know? Yep, so. I like it. I, I'm with you. I think the league is better when teams like that are yeah. are really fresh, are fresh. And, and it, 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 all of us push back against change to a point, but yeah. change came and it happened and it's great for the Jets. It's great for the Packers. Uh, who who knows how it's all going to work out, but I think it was time. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's time here. We've, we've, we've finished another show and we want to tell everybody too, starting next week, we are going to be, uh, we're still going to be in the athletic football show lineup, but we will record on Fridays starting next week. And the football GM will be found right where you find it now. Uh, but first thing on Saturday, I think it actually goes live like it, almost like 12.01 a.m. Uh, the next day. So on Saturdays, that will come up and we'll hit a new rhythm. We'll have more time during the week to kind of synthesize on things. We'll probably have more topics we can hit, hopefully in, in our way that's a little different from everybody else. So look forward to that. Randy, you can find him on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. You can find me there at Sando NFL. I guess it's not even Twitter anymore. We I was going to say, Twitter. Mike, don't make it's me X. be the social media maven here. It's not Twitter anymore. It I know you. X. Yeah, it's X. I mean, I know you, I can count on you for the latest developments in social media. Big Instagram guy, big X guy, Twitter guy. Yeah. You're XFL. You're the XFL. You You're go. X. It's X, all not that. Twitter. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks everybody for coming along. We'll talk to you next week at a new time. The Athletic Football Show. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.